Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Friday, May the 12th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, Banco Brown, murdered in San Francisco, California. I'll be following up on what is going on in the case of Banco Brown. The fallout continues here in San Francisco around his killing and the district attorney who refuses to release the video that she said shows that there is a self-defense claim for the security guard who killed Banco Brown. I'll be talking about that coming up next. Dear listener, welcome to this brand new edition of the Political Crap Daily Podcast. It is Friday, May the 12th, 2023. Happy Friday to you. I hope that it's a happy Friday for you. I hope it can be a happier Friday for you. But if it isn't, uh, maybe tomorrow will be a bit better for you. I hope you're well. Thank you very much for joining me here on the Political Crap Daily Podcast for this Friday. It's great to have you aboard. Whenever you happen to be listening, you are always a valued and respected and treasured listener. Thank you for making some time for yours truly on the Politocrat Daily Podcast. I really do respect you as a listener, and I thank you for making the time. I'm going to get straight to this. Yes, there was a headline that I want to get to very quickly first, though, and that was Daniel Penny being arrested, uh, and that happened yesterday in New York City. He is the uh, person you saw on the video choking the life out of One Jordan Neely, a young brother who is having a mental health crisis. And you see here in the United States of America, the way we deal with people who have mental health crises, if they're black, is to kill them. That's what we do in this country. And so you get all of this nonsense about, well, he's a scary person. He's this. He's that. He's waving his arms around. He's flapping his arms around. He was threatening. Again, it's all of these code words for, as a black person, you're not allowed to move your arms about. You're not allowed to be angry. Cue the angry black man. Cue the angry black woman. It's all about behavior modification. Oh, he was wildly waving his hands. He was throwing down a coat. He threw his jacket down on the subway. That's not a reason to choke someone to death. I mean, again, it's all about black people. Your movements are suspect. You can't move. If you stand still in the middle of a sidewalk now, people are going to be suspicious of you. You're not supposed to do that. We're afraid of you. When you stand in the middle of the sidewalk and you look at your watch or you look at your phone or you just stand there, we're all nervous. We're scared. I mean, this is bullcrap. It's racist garbage. And it gives an excuse to white people and any other person be they any other group, to think that now that's a justification to now either call the police or take the law into your own hands and take a black person's life. That is exactly what this is all about. You can have a white person walk down the street with a knife, with a gun. You can have a white person wave an axe at a cop And that white person will not be killed. 
will not be shot. I'm not advocating for them to be. What I'm advocating for is that police and any other person out there who sees a black person who is just being themselves walking down a street. I'm advocating that you all stop killing us. That's what I'm advocating. You're not supposed to have feelings if you're black. You're not supposed to have any emotions. You're supposed to be a blank effing slate. You're not supposed to raise your voice if you're a black woman in a meeting. You're supposed to now curate your voice and keep it calm and manage your voice and manage your tone. And then you got white people in meetings, particularly white men, who say the most racist or misogynistic or derisive things or anti-LGBTQ things, and they get promotions. No one tells them to police their tone. You've got all these people, they commit acts of rape, all kinds of other violence that they commit, uh, they get promotions. But a black person walks down the street, a black person in a subway car, and they're having a mental health crisis, and that's the reaction. Kill them. Get rid of them. Kill them. Barbaric. This country is full of barbarians who sit there and watch black people die and sit there and get their popcorn out, munch, munch, munch. What's the latest black person being killed video can we watch? What's the latest one? This society has got some people in it who absolutely think that it's okay, absolutely think it's okay to take a black person's life. And he had people standing over Jordan Neely as Daniel Penny was literally choking the life out of him. Nobody actively intervened and said, hey, that's it, get off, that's enough. No one. 15 minutes. Guy defecates on himself and you continue to keep choking him. People actually did tell Daniel Penny that. And for four minutes of that 15 minutes, this guy was dead already. And he still had his hands around his neck. Those charges will have to change. Second degree manslaughter. And he's not been formally indicted yet. But that will come through a grand jury sometime this summer. Hopefully they will arrive at that decision to charge him with second-degree murder because that would be my charge for him, not second-degree manslaughter. But we will see how this all shakes out. I wanted to begin with that, actually get that um, put to your attention because that is what happened. Uh, Daniel Penny arrested today in New York, and I'll be following up on that as well as we go along here in the next few weeks and months on the Politocrat Daily Podcast.
Dear listener, yes, it is time to focus on the main part of this podcast episode, which is going to be about Banco Brown, the unarmed, homeless, black trans person who was shot dead by a Walgreens security guard, executed by him, really. I mean, that's really what you're looking at here, is what happened. Now, look, um, the bottom line is, is that Banco Brown's life should have been spared. He should be here today, but he's not here today. He's not here today, and he should be, should be. It's just absolutely atrocious, really, that you could have something like this happen. And one of the things I ask, dear listener, is this. This is what I ask. Why are grocery stores having guards who are armed? I I don't understand that. I really don't. Why? Why? Armed guards in grocery stores? I can understand this in a nightclub. I can understand it in a nightclub. But at a grocery store? In a nightclub, you have people. And things happen when there's alcohol around because there are people who come in and who already have a mindset that they want to create trouble. Even before alcohol comes in. In fact, a lot of this stuff that happens in nightclubs has nothing to do with alcohol. And I'm not going to use alcohol as an excuse. In situations like that, with nightclubs, I can understand having an armed security guard there, but not in a freaking grocery store. Yes, people go to grocery stores, but they're there to buy goods. So what you are protecting as a security guard is not necessarily people. In fact, I know you're not doing that. You are protecting property. You are protecting property. And that, that, is where I have the issue. And that is where the hallmark of this country is. It was all about and is all about white male property owners who are rich because those are the only people who could own any kind of property, who had any property rights hundreds of years ago in this country. Not even that long ago. And you know what? A white man who is rich. Do you know what his property often was? A black person. He wasn't trying to protect that black person because he cared about that black person. What he was doing was trying to preserve the person for the sake of enslavement Labor. He didn't care about the life of that black person. He enslaved black people. That's what these rich white male property owners did. And the whole notion of property rights was derived out of these kinds of situations. Enslavement. And Use of people, abusing people, murdering us, lynching us. I mean, this is what this was. You have to understand what the history is and what the history was. 
You have to understand that black people were enslaved for hundreds of years in this country. You have to understand that once enslavement ended in this country, you have to understand that rich white men got compensated. Compensated for every enslaved black person that they had. Do you know that? Even after enslavement ended, we as black people have never been compensated. Never, never, in terms of enslavement, never been compensated. No reparations, nothing. I want to start with that before we go anywhere else. The only people who had property rights were rich white men. They could have a gun. They were the only ones allowed to have guns. That's what this was all about. Fast forward to April the 27th, 2023. Fast forward to that. Because on that date, here in San Francisco, a Thursday, you had a super rich multi-billion dollar corporation named Walgreens. That's your rich white man for the purposes of this particular case. And you had a homeless, black, transgender man. That's what you had. And that young brother named Banco Brown was hungry. 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 I really want you to think about that. What do we do when we're hungry? If we don't have any money, if we don't have any money, what do we do? What do we do? What would you do? If you have no money, if you're hungry, and you can't get food from anywhere, what would you do? Would you choose to stay hungry? I want you to think about that for a few moments. What would you do? I'm going to lay out these facts again. I, rather, let me not lay out facts. I'm going to weigh it, lay out a, an eyewitness account. And I'm going to do it courtesy of Mission Local which is the newspaper online here in San Francisco. Now, there's many San Francisco newspapers online. And one of them is the San Francisco Chronicle, which I think is a bunch of garbage. That is a terrible newspaper. And everyone in San Francisco will admit that to you, even though we still read it anyway. 
But it is a horrible news. The San Francisco Chronicle is awful. It's a terrible newspaper. People, re- uh, I, anyway, I won't even go any further than that. I know some people at the San Francisco Chronicle. I know some people at the Chronicle, for God's sakes. Um, and they know me. So there you go. I'm not because of that. It's just because the paper is awful. It's awful. And some of the hit pieces that they do, attacking progressives as wild-eyed, crazy people, um, are just dishonest. They're just dishonest. Mission Local, fortunately, is one of the better newspapers in this city. And there is something called the Mission District. So I'll keep that one out there for you as well. Here's what the story is, dear listener. I'm going to give you, and I read this article to you a week or so ago. Griffin Jones on May the 4th, 2023, wrote an article for Mission Local entitled Witness, Walgreens guard ejected Banco Brown, then returned outside and shot him. Subtitle, Pressure Mounts as Supporters Soups, that would be the Board of Supervisors, implore District Attorney to release video and evidence. A man who says he was an eyewitness to the killing of Banco Brown on April 27th and filmed the aftermath of the shooting says that Walgreen security guard Michael Earl Wayne Anthony had already ejected Brown from the store and had gone back inside the store. That's a security guard. He's gone back inside the store before changing his mind, walking back outside and shooting Brown. I need to emphasize that again because I don't think I even emphasized it last week when I actually said this, read this out the first time to you. This is according to an eyewitness. Now, again, I know eyewitness accounts are often unreliable. I understand that. Okay? I understand that. So I do want to make that clear as well. Donald Washington Jr. is the person who I'm going to reference here because he is referenced in this article I'm reading to you. And Donald Washington Jr. says that the Walgreens security guard who had already ejected Banco Brown from the store and had then gone back inside the store changed his mind turned back around, walked back outside, and shot Banco Brown dead. That's what the eyewitness is saying. The district attorney doesn't want to release the video. And the district attorney has the nerve to tell us that the video shows, well, let me, I'm going to read the statement from her. I'm not going to tell you what she has the nerve to do. I'm going to read you the damn statement. This is from, this is the statement that was made by Brooke Jenkins on May the 1st, 2023. 
the killing of Banco Brown on April the 27th, 2023 was a tragedy and my heart breaks for his friends and family. This is the San Francisco District Attorney, Brooke Jenkins. After careful review of all the evidence gathered by the San Francisco Police Department in this case, my office will not be pursuing murder charges at this time in connecting in connection to the shooting. We reviewed witness statements, statements from the suspect and video footage of the incident and it does not meet the people's burden to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury that the suspect is guilty of a crime. The evidence clearly shows that the suspect believed he was in mortal danger and acted in self-defense. We cannot bring forward charges when there is credible evidence of reasonable self-defense. Doing so would be unethical and create false hope for a successful prosecution. No matter the case, however, we must follow the law and the evidence wherever it leads. We never make decisions based on emotions or what may be politically expedient. That is the statement on May 1st of the San Francisco District Attorney, Brooke Jenkins. Now, I believe that statement is a bunch of bullcrap, but that is the statement. There are always political considerations and political expediency. There's always that in these cases that are high profile. Don't tell me it's not, because why do you think people are protesting on the street here in San Francisco? What does the history of this country tell you? Protest is the thing that forces people in power, not only to wake up, but to move them to act. And that statement that I just read to you from San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins is going to, more than once in this episode, prove to be a bunch of bullcrap. Now, Back to the article. Donald Washington Jr. was at the register with his coffee and tea in Walgreens at 825 Market Street last Thursday when he heard a tussle and turned around. I had my earbud in my left ear listening to some jazz music, said Washington. He heard a spitting sound, he said, and looked to his left. He saw the Walgreens security guard, Anthony, 33, uh, uh, grappling on the ground inside the store with Brown, 24. Quote, I looked to the left for a minute and Brown and Anthony were arguing, tussling in the store like wrestling, in quote, about 12 feet away. That's pretty damn close, dear listener. If you're 12 feet from someone, you are literally, what, three arms lengths away? Not very far at all, right? Whatever it is. I mean, you're, you're not far away from them. From where, 12 feet away from where Washington stood bagging his groceries. Washington said Anthony then threw Brown out of the store. Quote, Anthony threw Brown down on the ground, just threw him down. He's about six foot two. Now, this is the security guard he's referring to. He threw him on the ground and told him, get out of my store. As this is happening, I'm putting my items in my bag. 
Family have said that Banco Brown stood five foot four and weighed 155 pounds. According to Washington, after Anthony threw Brown out, the security guard turned around and went back inside the Walgreens. At this point, Washington was turning to leave and Anthony bumped into him. This part of the article for me now, dear listener, is really critical. Washington reacted because he'd bumped into, the security guard had bumped into him. This security guard needs to be focused on a whole lot more than the corporate news media is focusing on him here in San Francisco. Washington reacted. Hey, this is Washington saying this. Hey, bro. I look at him. He says to me, this is the God now saying, my bad family. Turns around and says, damn, hell no, not today. And goes back outside the store. So the security guard, according to this eyewitness, Donald Washington Jr. says, damn, hell no, not today. And goes back outside the store. At that instant moment. I'm thinking. Is he going to fight him? What's going on? So I press the button on my camera right fast. As I'm pressing the button. He already shot Brown. Said Washington. I'm watching him with his right arm, get his pistol, aim it at Brown's chest and shoot him, Washington said. Washington said at no time did he see a knife or hear Brown threaten to stab anyone. He said he saw Cap'n Crunch cereal and other small snacks in Brown's bag. Oh, so sue me. He needs to be shot dead then. Oh, because he's got snacks in his bag. Give me a break. Give me a break. (sighs) Washington said that just prior to the shooting, a group of eight to nine others stood outside the store and that when Anthony threw Brown out, They began shouting at the security guard regarding his physical confrontation with Brown. After seeing Anthony shoot Brown, Washington started shaking. He chose to stay inside the store, filming Brown and Anthony on the sidewalk from behind the glass door. He headed outside as a crowd gathered. Quote, there were little kids walking by asking, what's going on, mom? Like, mom, is he sleeping? And quote, that's Donald Washington Jr. saying this. In Washington's video, and by the way, there's a link to the video. I am not watching the video. And this is Washington's video after the shooting. He did not capture the shooting. He captured the immediate aftermath of it. In Washington's video, 
Anthony stands beside Brown as he lay on the ground grasping the guard's legs, saying, quote, please help me, end quote. Quote, he could have used pepper spray. He could have used a baton. He's a big dude. A gun, though, you go outside, you come back in the store, think about things for a minute. He processed it. Anthony, quote, shot that boy over some snacks, end quote. Washington summarized. Washington is a documentary filmmaker with his own production company, Fast Black TV. He has been a customer at the Market Street Walgreens for several years. He says he is familiar with the store's staff, including Anthony. Washington added that he has not eaten or slept well in the past week because the scene was so traumatic. On May the 1st, and I read you the May 1st statement from San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins. District Attorney Brooke Jenkins declined to charge Anthony and he was freed from jail. Now, that's just a portion of the article, right? From the writer Griffin Jones at the Mission Local, missionlocal.org. Donald Washington Jr. is the eyewitness. And again, I will stress to you, dear listener, eyewitness testimony is often unreliable. Often unreliable. This is pretty darn specific. I will say that. And this narrative that is being perpetuated by the district attorney's office that somehow he charged at, and there's all this lies that are being so, said on social media, people making up stuff. And this, this eyewitness was literally 12 feet away from him, according to the article. And you're hearing people, the, the garbage of social media, oh, he had a knife. By the way, the district attorney herself has even said that there was no knife that Banco Brown had and that Banco Brown didn't have any weapon. She said that publicly. And that's been backed up through Betty Yu, who is a reporter for KPIX television here in San Francisco. There is no knife. The man didn't ever have a month. Banco Brown never had a knife. He was not armed. And according to Donald Washington Jr., the eyewitness, there was no audible threat. There was no shouting, I'm going to do something to you. I'm going to kill. Nothing. Nothing. And based on this eyewitness account, dear listener, Banco Brown never went back into the store. The only person who went back into the store was the security guard. And then he went back out onto the street and pulled out his gun, according to the eyewitness, and shot this brother dead. That is an absolute murder. At the least, he should be charged with second degree murder. Seriously. 
Banco Brown never went back into that store. The shooting occurred outside the store. And I'm telling you, because this case is going to eventually, in my view, this case is eventually going to see a courtroom. I think it will. I think it's a good possibility of that. And what this is going to come down to is where was Banco Brown when the shooting happened? Was he inside the store or outside the store? Either way, I think the defense attorney who represents this security guard is going to have a tough time. If the shooting happened inside the store, the security guard probably has a chance from a legal point of view here. But if the shooting happened outside the store, he has no chance. I'm not rooting for him. I want him convicted if he ever gets charged. If this district attorney will get off her duff and decide to stop poisoning the well here, because she's already done that. And I'll talk about that coming up. But here's the story, dear listener. If this shooting happened on the street, this security guard is toast. And from this eyewitness, Donald Washington Jr. Clearly, this shooting happened outside the store. Donald Washington Jr., and I just read it out to you, told you that the security guard had thrown Banco Brown out onto the street. And then the security guard turned around, went back inside the Walgreens. Actually says the words. Damn, hell no, not today. And then goes back outside the store. The shooting, according to Donald Washington Jr., happened out on the street outside the store. I'm watching him with his right arm get his pistol, aim it at Brown's chest and shoot him. This is an execution. Washington said that just prior, back to the article here, a group of eight or nine people just prior to the shooting. So you had other witnesses. They need to be spoken to. I know that the district attorney says they've spoken to witnesses. Have they spoken to Donald Washington Jr.? That's my question. According to this eyewitness, this shooting, this execution took place outside the store. And once you've gone back into the store, if this eyewitness account is correct, once you've gone back into a store, that's it. That's the end of the engagement. You've pushed him out onto the sidewalk. That's it. Once you've gone back into the store, you have no right to use any physical force now. And then you turn around, go back outside the store, according to this eyewitness, and then you just shoot this guy dead? You're in big trouble. If that account from Donald Washington Jr. is accurate, he's the eyewitness here, according to Mission Local. If that report of that eyewitness is accurate, 
This security guard needs to be charged with second-degree murder at the very least. Banco Brown, according to this eyewitness, Donald Washington Jr., never went back into that store. Never. He was already outside the store. And this security guard was the aggressor. And he went back out on the street and he shot this guy dead, according to the eyewitness. That is not a self-defense claim. That is a murder claim. Not, not self-defense. And you've got this district attorney who is covering up, in my view, something that she can't cover up anymore. Because it's very obvious to me, based upon the eyewitness account, which again, I must caution you, we know that eyewitnesses very often are not credible because they don't remember things. Doesn't mean that that's true here. But when you put out a statement on May 1st, 2023, saying that the evidence clearly shows that the suspect believed he was in mortal danger and acted in self-defense, well, why the hell don't you release the video? Why aren't you releasing that video? The video obviously shows something very different from what you're saying. That's why you're not releasing the video. And if this video ever gets released, will it be doctored? Will it be edited? Or will you be actually releasing everything? This district attorney has put her thumb on the scale. And my question is this. Does she have some ties to Walgreens or the security group that employed this killer? Do you know, by the way, that this person who killed Banco Brown was charged with shoplifting himself a few years ago and I think served time for it? Do you know that? So you put a criminal in a security guard suit and you arm him with a gun. What could possibly go wrong? And Instead of focusing on Banco Brown, you better focus on the freaking disposition and mental state of that freaking security guard. Because if Donald Washington Jr. is to be believed and the security guard is saying, hell no, nah, damn, not today. And then he turns around and shoots Banco Brown, who's outside the store, shoots him dead. That's murder. It's murder. End of. End of. The district attorney has got a lot to answer for here. Brooke Jenkins. The San Francisco district attorney has lots to answer for here. And she is already sabotaging any potential prosecution. And I want to know why she's doing it. Again, does she have connections to Walgreens? Did Walgreens finance her campaign for district attorney? Did Walgreens do that? Did the security company that this guard works for, did they do that? Did they donate money to Brooke Jenkins' campaign for district attorney, her election campaign? 
I want to know those questions. I want to know the answers to them, more importantly. I want to know. I want to know. Because those are the kinds of questions that I would be asking. Why is it that this district attorney is putting her thumb on the scale? It is very unusual for a district attorney to already try to sabotage a case. Put it like this. Let me not term it like that. It is very unusual for a district attorney to say that the evidence clearly shows that the suspect believes he was in mortal danger and acted in self-defense. And then you don't put out a video supporting what you've said. That's unusual for a prosecutor to do that. What the prosecutor should be doing in a case like this is saying an ongoing investigation is continuing. We are still evaluating the evidence. A video will not yet be released. But once this investigation is concluded, you can expect that these things will be released. At this time, I cannot speak any further to this case. It's an ongoing case. And the district attorney and the police will be investigating it. By the way, these are two separate entities, but they work together. It is also important for you to hear this, dear listener. Because, well, I'm almost tempted to play it now. But maybe I'll just give you a preview. The San Francisco Police Department arrested this security guard. And they arrested him on suspicion of murder. That's what they arrested him on. Now, why did that turn into, we're going to release him three or four days later, two or three days later? Why did it turn into that? I want to know how it went from this security guard being arrested on suspicion of murder by the San Francisco Police Department to he's being released now with no charges put forth. Something's going on here and it stinks. Francisco security guard now facing murder charges after allegedly shooting and killing a woman inside a Walgreens. Good evening. I'm Ryan Yamamoto. And I'm Elizabeth Cook. Our Kenny Choi was at the Walgreens today trying to piece together what happened. Kenny, what did you find out? Listen, Ryan, we have identified the person, the security guard who was involved in the shooting last night, as well as the person who was killed. San Francisco police also confirming that a theft did occur and that this incident is under investigation and that the person, the security guard, has been arrested on suspicion of murder. Iro works near the Walgreens on Market Street in Union Square cleaning sidewalks. He sees everything from petty crime to violent confrontations in the area. People just walk in, they steal, you know, they be uh, belligerent, they be disrespectful. And um, a lot of times... The security guards, I mean, they're overwhelmed. Last night, an alleged shoplifting incident turned into a chaotic scene. Police say an armed security guard opened fire, shooting 24-year-old China Brown. She died on the way to the hospital. 
The security guard has been identified as 33-year-old Michael Earl Wayne Anthony from Oakland. I was on my way out. I was, I was like by the little pay thing, but she was out before me. And as soon as we was walking out, over here is boom, boom. And she dropped to the floor. I'm looking at her, and that was that. Anthony worked for Kingdom Group Protective Services Private Security. According to a state database, he has a permit to act as an armed guard. What could have been stolen that warranted taking that warranted taking a life? Michael Huff is a criminal defense attorney with a law enforcement background. Here's someone usually in uniform, maybe even even armed, that will deter crime. But in the event that a crime occurs, unless there is a significant great bodily injury or death that's in jeopardy, lethal force is generally going to be considered excessive. The latest SFPD report shows gun violence and gun-related deaths are tracking slightly lower compared to the same time period in 2022 and lower than 2021. Regular customers say there's rampant shoplifting daily, but most incidents end with a confiscation of items rather than an escalation of violence. It's an unfortunate situation, and I feel like, you know, it needs to be addressed, you know, in a proper fashion by the proper authorities that, you know, deal with that type of situation. A Walgreens spokesperson sent us a statement that reads in part, the safety of our patients, customers, and team members is our top priority and violence of any kind will not be tolerated in our stores. They are cooperating with local authorities. We also reached out to the private security guard company that employs this person who is under arrest on suspicion of murder. That company says that they are not able to comment on this matter at this time. And Kenny, any idea what led up to this? Was there a struggle? What, what escalated this to this level of violence? So those are the uh, questions uh, that are trying to be answered by the San Francisco Police Department. They are investigating this, but all they would say is that a theft did occur. The details of that uh, have not yet been revealed. Dear listener, welcome back. That was the report that I was teasing to play you at the end of the last block on this edition of the Political Daily Podcast. Look, I have to really warn you, this is distressing. Uh, This is distressing information. It's distressing content. It's really distressing and disturbing. It really is. And I, I, I know that you know that. It's not... Look, we are dealing with a problem that this country doesn't want to deal with, which is violence and violence against black people particularly. And I'm going to continue to talk about these issues on this podcast. I want to just preface that here. You just heard that report. That was actually from April the 28th of 2023, the day after Banco Brown was shot dead. And I think this is a murder. Now, look, I don't have all the facts. Of course, um, we will find out more, of course, as things go along here. In my view, this young brother, Banco Brown, was murdered. That's my view. Murder is a legal term. He was obviously killed. And based on the, I'm only going on what the eyewitnesses said. And the eyewitness, Donald Washington Jr., made it very clear. No gun, no knife, he wasn't armed. The district attorneys admitted that as well to Betty Yu of KPIX here in San Francisco. And you just heard that report from Kenny Choi of CBS News Bay Area and KPIX. And so 
you heard that report start with, oh, well, well, there's lots of shoplifting here. I don't care that there's lots of shoplifting. Does that justify you taking someone's life? No. And I said this before, and I'll say it again. I've said it before. This country has a bunch of barbarians in it. And some of us are monsters. We are monsters. Because in Nazi Germany, you have people who are thinking the same way like this. Well, they deserve to be killed. I, I mean, this is just evil. What is our society becoming? Well, I know what the society is. But what is this society becoming? Where you have people casually justifying executions. It's terrifying. We are not that far away from the kind of society where you have lots of people saying it's okay to execute black people. We are not even far away from that because a lot of people think that it's okay to do that in this country. Try 70 some odd million people, most of them white, the vast majority of them white, who voted for this piece of garbage for president two and a half years ago. Try them. They will tell you, probably many of them will tell you, openly that it's okay to do this i want to read you by the way a comment from that mission local article i read from in the first block where the eyewitness talks about how this security guard a black man shot and killed a black trans person the comment section is i think the most terrifying thing to read in any situation it really is because you get a lot of vitriol a lot of heinous uninformed ignorant racist misogynistic anti-muslim anti-jewish anti-lgbtq anti-asian comments anti-black comments. The comment section of any story is the most terrifying and also sometimes the most illuminating part of any story. Same thing on social media. Sometimes the comments are illuminating, but most times they are full of hatred and bile. When someone tweets something, when someone Facebook something, you will see some of the most disgusting human comments. And I know some of them are trolls and bots, I get that. But you've got people who say some really heinous things and inhumane things. There are a lot of inhumane people on this planet. And there are lots of people who aren't like that on this planet. But I want to read this comment to you from someone who calls himself Dan. This is a really good comment. But it's also very disturbing and telling about the way this society is, the United States of America, and how people think in this country, how some people think. This is from Dan, posted May the 5th, 2023, on the story by Griffin Jones that I read out earlier. This is what Dan says. Years ago, I remember when Duterte was president in the Philippines. Let me warn you, this has some graphic content in it, okay? 
Years ago, I remember when Duterte was president in the Philippines and authorized police to execute drug dealers on the street. They were literally walking up to people on the street, shoving them to their knees and shooting them in the head. I commented to an in-law of mine, an 80-year-old grandmother, a super sweet Filipino woman, just quiet and dainty and kind. Her response, quote, well, there is a big drug problem here. Duterte is dealing with it, end quote. Here we are today. You talk to people who you think are good and rational people, and they're literally responding with, quote, there's too much shoplifting, end quote. How this is a deterrent. And the reach they go to justify it. At the very least, you'd think people would be like, oh yes, that was so awful, such a shame that someone died over what started as simple shoplifting, just a tragedy, In quote. Nope. Every single comment I've seen is like, quote, that'll teach him. Thank God someone's willing to do it. He deserved it. He might have had a knife. He deserved it. He spat on him, In quote. We've got a horrible problem with homelessness poverty, and the drug abuse that it leads to and perpetuates. But if you offer any solution other than, quote, put them all in jail, end quote, you're under attack. I don't know what the solution is, but it sure as F isn't letting more cops murder people. Thank you, Dan, for that whoever you are, who took the time to write what I thought was very honest and thoughtful. Excuse me sounding as if I'm patronizing this person, Dan. But I agree with Dan. And that is where we are. We are a monstrous society, especially when it comes to how we react to when black people get killed in this country. Some of us will be very supportive. Others of us... Not so much. Not so much. Not so much. We have barbarians. That's why I did. Why do you think, dear listener? I did an episode about this a few days ago. Barbarians at the gate. You can go look that up. It was a few episodes ago now. Two or three episodes ago. This is really part two to that episode. But you can find it pretty easy uh, on your podcasting platform, dear listener, whether it's Spotify or Apple or Anchor or Odyssey or you name it, Audible, Amazon. I can go on and on. The list is long. The list is long. Pandora. People will justify anything where black people being killed is concerned. They will justify anything, people will. Anything. Anything. Whether it's a black person killing a black person or a white person killing a black person or any kind of police officer doing it. People in this country will justify anything. Vis-a-vis black people being killed. They will justify that all day long. 
they will justify a lot of other things as well. Whether it's a trans person being killed, in this case, that's what happened as well. I mean, anything, whether it's a woman being killed, whether it's a woman being raped, you will have people say, well, they deserved it. Well, she was wearing something that she shouldn't have worn. Like, that's what got her raped. Give me a freaking break. We, we are barbarians. Oh, Omar, you've got no faith in humanity. Well, not in some parts of humanity, I don't. Not in some parts. But it seems that human beings, some of us, don't have faith in each other, don't have the value of human life. We are, some of us, very inhumane. And we don't value human life. This country, the United States of America, does not value human life. It values property, is the whole point. It values property. That's what it values. And the property that is valued now are a bunch of freaking snacks. And we have a system that's so inhumane. We have a homeless problem across this country and certainly here in San Francisco that's so inhumane. It's so terrible. The disposable life, that your life as a black person is completely disposable to this society. And if you're homeless, if you're unhoused, forget it. You've got all these empty buildings in this city. You've got investors from overseas buying these buildings, not occupying them. You could house a lot of people in this city with these empty buildings that have not had a single person walk into them. If you are somebody who believes that Banco Brown should have been killed, shame on you. You are inhumane and you don't even value your own life, much less someone else's. And once you get to a society where you have even a sizable percentage, 30%, 40% of people who think that it's okay to take someone's life or oh, they were shoplifting, therefore kill them, you have a society that is terrifying. And you have a society that given the right person or the wrong person, I should say, Getting into the White House, and we've seen that before, you can have a terrifying situation where people think it's okay to murder black people or any other person. But that's been the case for so long now. So many people in this country think it is okay to take a black person's life. Daniel Penny obviously thought so because nobody stopped him and he didn't stop himself. 15 minutes, a chokehold. So the person who shot Ralph Yall, that 80-year-old piece of garbage, I forget his name, who shot Ralph Yall down there in Kansas City, he obviously thought it was okay, shot him in the head, and then shot him in the arm and he was lying down, and three other white people thought it was okay too because they wouldn't help this brother. The cop who took the life of George Floyd felt the same way. The cop who took the life of a Tatiana Jefferson felt the same way. The cop who took the life of the brother in Minnesota felt the same way. Philando Castile. The person that cop, Kim Potter, who's now released, thought it was okay 
to take the life of Dante Wright. She's now out free as a bird. Free as a bird. This disposable attitude, this idea that the life of a black person is disposable. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And you have these impulses in people, you know. Again, that Latino, white Latino, that Latino who was also a racist and a white supremacist, if you will, because that's what it was. I hate that word supremacist. There's nothing supreme about these people who believe in all this hate and all this garbage and violence. That person thought it was okay to kill black people and brown people and Asian people because that's what he did in Allen, Texas. This idea of disposable lives, your life doesn't mean anything to me. Again, it's what I played to you in the episode a few days ago, in an episode a few days ago, this dirty Harry attitude. Do you feel lucky, punk? I'm going to blow you away. That whole Clint Eastwood bullcrap. We as a society, we as a country, the system here is a dehumanizing system. We are a dehumanizing country. We dehumanize people, whether they're brown, whether they're black. We dehumanize people. We dehumanize Asian people. We dehumanize women of any group. We dehumanize people who are unhoused. We dehumanize people who are transgender We dehumanize gay people. We dehumanize people who are drag queens. I mean, this is just a sick, evil thing that we do in this country. Evil. Inhumane. People have a right to live, to live. And it's none of your business the way they're living their lives. It's not your business. It's not my business. It's not our business. As long as nobody's committing violent acts in any hein- or any kind of heinous thing like that, it doesn't matter how someone's living their life. As long as they're not harming anyone else, it doesn't matter. Banco Brown wasn't harming anyone. And for people out here to adopt that attitude that Dan talked about, the attitude of, well... There is a big problem with drugs here. Let's just get rid of them. These comments in the comment sections, I don't even read these comments anymore. I only read this one because it seemed rational. I decided, let me just give a look at how people are responding to the article by the writer Griffin Jones here. And let's see what they say. And Dan's comment was the one that resonated with me. And that means you have a society that is up for anything that wouldn't blink an eye if they saw someone being raped. That I'm telling you, that's the kind of disgusting society we have. I mean, when Jordan Neely was choked to death, you have people in there videotaping it. Now, in a, in a way, obviously I'm glad that someone caught this on tape. Same thing with uh, the young sister who did the same with George Floyd. Because you're holding someone accountable there. 
But then I also think, what if someone had intervened in the case of Jordan Neely? Obviously, if you try to intervene with a police officer, you're going to be in some big trouble. But people were shouting at Derek Chauvin when he kept his knee on the neck of George Floyd for nine and a half minutes. And what I want to know is, why didn't people intervene when Jordan Neely was being choked to death for 15 minutes? Why not? Why not? Because they thought it was okay to kill a black person. That is my answer. I wasn't there and nor were you. That's my answer. If that person was white, I dare say the outcome would have been different. I don't think that Daniel Penny would have done what he did. And I don't think in this case, had the person been white in that Walgreens, I do not think that this black security guard would have come back out onto the street and shot that white person dead. Really, as a prosecutor, there's no tougher job than to have to review these types of cases and, and really make a determination that we know is going to disappoint a community and a family. In this particular instance, um, this was a shoplifting that really, based on the facts, turned into an escalated into a robbery. Uh, and the armed security guard did ultimately end up using lethal force by firing one shot from his firearm uh, that ultimately killed Banco Brown. Um, we had to evaluate the, the video, the statement of the security guard, multiple witness statements, to figure out whether or not there was a credible claim of self-defense. Um, and we ultimately did not believe that we could prove beyond a reasonable doubt here that the security guard had committed murder or any other crime. That was San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins on May 1st, 2023, saying what I told you, what I read out to you earlier. Oh, no, you know, it, no, it's just, uh, this is a justified killing, you know. No, there's no credible claim of anything but self-defense. Self-defense is a credible thing. And we're going to just say, no, we're not going to bother charging here. I'm just giving you the um, cynical rough cut version of what was just said, what you just heard. We're not charging because, you know, the trans person and a black trans person. Well, you know, they don't mean anything in this town. We're not charging. That's essentially what the district attorney told you. Now, she didn't say those words, but that's what you come away with. That's what I come away with anyway. Our lives are disposable. That is what the society is telling you. That's what the society is telling you. That's what a district attorney is telling you. And the thing is, the San Francisco Police Department, as you heard in the report I played earlier, arrested this security guard on suspicion of murder. And somewhere between that arrest on Friday, April the 28th, 2023, and Monday, May the 1st, 
2023, a decision was made not to charge. Something happened in those three days, those 72 hours, where in San Francisco you have 72 hours to either press charges on someone you've arrested or release them. In some states, it's 24 hours or 12 hours. And we've seen this before where people have been released and then more investigation work comes and boom, they're rearrested. Or because people like you or me or activists out there decide, you know what, we need to make a noise about this, put public pressure on this. This is why I say that that statement that I read to you earlier about we don't make this from Brooke Jenkins, the district attorney you just heard from, that said, the statement I read out earlier that said, we don't make any prosecutions based on political expediency. Well, uh, you know, you're lying, uh, Attorney Jenkins. You're District Attorney Jenkins, you're lying. You made a political decision to sabotage this prosecution, would-be prosecution. Why would you come out and in advance before anything has been finished investigation-wise? Say, why would you come out and say, that the video and all the evidence we reviewed shows no evidence of anything except a credible self-defense claim. Why would you preemptively say that? Your job is to investigate and bring forth evidence. And if there is no evidence to put forward a case, then yeah, you might not decide to press charges or put forth a case. But it's so obvious that you need to be investigating this much more thoroughly. And why would you make a statement so soon that the video shows that this was a credible claim of self-defense or based on the video and all these other witnesses, there was a credible claim of self-defense? Why would you make a statement like that And meanwhile, the San Francisco Police Department still investigating. And in fact, the district attorney even has later said that there's an ongoing investigation. Well, I think you've compromised that investigation as certainly have compromised any prosecution of this killer by coming out and saying that after careful review of all the evidence gathered by the San Francisco Police Department in this case, my office will not be pursuing murder charges at this time in connection to the shooting. We reviewed witness statements, statements from the suspect and video footage of the incident and it does not meet the people's burden to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury that the suspect is guilty of a crime. The evidence clearly shows that the suspect believed he was in mortal danger and acted in self-defense. We cannot bring forward charges when there is a credible, when there's credible evidence of reasonable self-defense. Doing so would be unethical and create false hope for a successful prosecution, no matter the case. However, we must follow the law and the evidence wherever it leads. We never make decisions based on emotions or what may be politically expedient. Bullcrap. That's my word, not hers. Now, she said at this time. That doesn't mean that she won't do it, by the way. She said, at this time, we will not be pursuing murder charges. 
In fact, if you read that statement more closely, she doesn't say that she is not going to pursue charges. She just says she's not going to be pursuing murder charges. At this time. Which means, actually, if you read that even more closely, she potentially is leaving the door open for there to be a murder charge or some charge. So far, there have been no charges. But based on what I read to you from the eyewitness Donald Washington Jr., this is a case of murder. If that eyewitness is to be be believed, I've got no reason to disbelieve him. But again, you have to put this in a court of law, which means you have to try it before a jury. We can speculate till the cows come home, you and I. I certainly can, but again, until we actually have a trial here, an indictment and all the rest, then we can start to go somewhere with this. But not really can we go very much further other than to talk about why this thing is so strange. Because there's no question about it for me that a district attorney does not normally do something like this. And I think there's a whole lot of politics involved here, by the way. A whole lot of politics. Now, when the white male founder of Cash App was killed in this town, a few weeks ago, you didn't hear anything like this coming from the district attorney of this city. She didn't say, after careful review of all the evidence and all the stuff here, we did. No, you didn't hear any of that. Why in the case of Banco Brown are you hearing a district attorney preemptively tell you that she's not pressing charges? Instead of her saying, we are continuing to investigate and we'll have no further comment, she's already talking about, well, we're not going to press any murder charges. Why is that the order of the day? Instead of we're continuing to investigate, I understand the public is looking to find out what's going on, but we cannot comment until the investigation is complete. At that time, I'll make a further statement. Why didn't she just say that? Why is this district attorney preemptively putting her thumb on the scale and sabotaging her own would-be prosecution? Because all the defense attorney will have to say is, hey, look, your DA doesn't think that this is a murder case. You can't get a successful prosecution when you have a defense attorney using a statement by the San Francisco district attorney, because that statement will be allowed into evidence. I don't expect the judge to keep that out of the case. Because you know what? On appeal, that is a material statement that might be used. And maybe an appellate court would look at that and go, yeah, you know what? That is material to this case. You don't know. You, may, you never know. I'm, I'm speculating admittedly here, which is not a good thing to do. All of this is so very strange. Very strange. 
And the question is, why is this district attorney doing this? Does she have some connection to Walgreens? Are they her campaign contributor? Did they contribute to her campaign? Did this security company contribute to her campaign? What is going on here? Or is it just that she's making it very clear that she does not, as a black woman, like black people and doesn't care about their lives, especially if they're black trans people? Learning. The San Francisco DA is not filing charges against a security guard arrested for shooting and killing a man at a downtown Walgreens Thursday. Now, community members have been calling for justice for Banco Brown and rallied outside of the store today. Tonight, the DA told us security footage of the incident shows that Banco used violence against the security guard. This was a shoplifting that really, based on the facts, turned into an escalated into a robbery. Uh, and the armed security guard did ultimately end up using lethal force. We had to evaluate the, the video, the statement of the security guard, multiple witness statements to figure out whether or not there was a credible claim of self-defense. Um, and we ultimately did not believe that we could prove beyond a reasonable doubt here that the security guard had committed murder. Our Betty, you in studio tonight, and you spoke with the DA. On top of that, you also attended the rally, correct? You were there covering it. That's right, Jules. Several people close to Banco Brown attended this rally outside Walgreens, calling for justice and demanding change from city officials and Walgreens. They said Brown struggled with homelessness for years and often felt unsafe in shelters or other programs. Banco Brown! Banco Brown! Family, friends, and activists chanted his name outside the Walgreens on Market Street. 24-year-old Banco Brown was shot dead by an armed security guard during what police are calling a shoplifting incident last week. His mentor, Xavier Davenport, worked with him through the Young Women's Freedom Center. He described Banco as a transgender man and a community organizer. Banco was a quiet, quiet boy. Um, but very loving and very helpful, uh, loved children, um, loved to be able to give back to the other people that were kind of like him. District Attorney Brooke Jenkins said surveillance video shows that Banco used physical force, violence, and threats of violence during the encounter. This was a senseless death. Xavier said Banco spent years couch surfing in the Tenderloin. The group demanded city officials, including the mayor and organizations, do more to invest in and house young people, specifically black trans youth. This Walgreens has been more harmful to black community um, more than anything. A bunch of people steal from this Walgreens every single day. I know because I used to be a loss prevention manager for Old Navy for years, for almost more than a decade. Why this black young boy um, had to be taken away from something so senseless that everybody in this community and everybody around San Francisco does.
Xavier said he last spoke to him a month ago when Banco shared that he was experiencing hardships. He wanted to actually be a fashion designer and design clothes. Um, so he had a future. He had a bright future. Sirocco Corey Moreland is also a black trans man. We're derased or we're, we're neglected, right? We're here and we're making noise. We have been making noise for years, but the situation at hand is that it, it, it's really just really screwed up at the fact that we're here and it's because one of our own were killed because they didn't have access to any resources. I'm hoping for this Walgreens to be shut down. The next thing I'm hoping for is that these organizations, that there's more integrity that's put into place in these organizations and how they're actually running who gets beds, who gets housing. All right, to go back to the sequence of events, the rally happened by the community. Charges were dropped against the guard. He was supposed to be arraigned tomorrow, so that's clearly not happening. That's right, and at the rally, community members were urging others to show up at the arraignment mm -hmm. tomorrow afternoon at the Hall of Justice to show the family support, but that was before we learned of the latest developments from the DA. All right, Betty you, thank you. It doesn't matter what kind of person Banco Brown was, he had a right to live. He shouldn't have been murdered. He shouldn't have been killed. I don't care what his future was. I mean, I care about the person, Banco Brown. I'm not saying I don't. But what my point is, is that, well, he was doing this, he was doing that. There's no perfect victims. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I know we always do that in this country. Well, he was an A student and he, what if he wasn't an A student? What if he flunked every course he took in his life? What if he was a dropout? Does that make it any less heinous that he was murdered? Uh, again, uh, please, there's always this story. Well, they were a, a mother of three. And well, she was a president of a Fortune 500 company. Like, that's a good thing. I don't know that that's a good thing, given what these corporations, some of them do and what their aims are. I, I, I look, The point is, it's not about what someone... Um, whether they're an A student or not, it's about the, the even if they're a horrible, heinous person, you you don't get to kill people just because you feel like it, just because they stole something. Return to humanity. Have a semblance of humanity. My God, that's where the point I'm making lies. Do you have humanity or do you not? That is the question. Do you have humanity for people's lives or do you not? That's really what this boils down to for me. Not about how good someone was or, well, they were stealing something or they weren't stealing. That stuff's irrelevant because none of that justifies you taking a life. None of it does. Now, if, if Banco Brown had a weapon on him and was charging at the security guard of a weapon, that security guard is well within his right to shoot Banco Brown. Well within his right. But that didn't happen here, dear listener. The district attorney has come out in statements and said that there was no knife. No knife. No knife. Trust me, if there was a knife, you would have heard all about that already. You would have heard it. You would have heard it. In her statement, she didn't say that there was a knife. In the statement I played to you where she was verbal on audio, she didn't say that there was a knife. She said, oh, Banco Brown was being violent. She didn't specify what that was. What violence? What kind? 
didn't specify it. Didn't specify it. If Banco Brown was armed, trust me, this district attorney in that comment I played earlier in the audio to the corporate into the media here in, in San Francisco, she would have said so. She would have said so. She didn't say it in any of her statements and she didn't say it in that audio I played. You heard two different clips of her saying this. That they didn't say anything about a knife or a gun. This was a murder. From what I am aware of with the facts that we, are, we know, we don't know the whole, all the facts, but from the eyewitness account, now again, it has to be tried in a court of law. But right there, at the minimum, this smells like a second degree murder case. We'll find out more. I really, you know, there's a lot more we'll find out. And when all the facts come through, we will get a better focus on what this is. And I keep saying, we have a culture here and this society here that thinks it's okay to kill black people. And some of the black people out there in the world think it's okay to do the same. Believe me. Whether it's in shootings in neighborhoods, whether it is the beating death of Tyree Nichols, whether it is what happened in this case with Banco Brown being killed by a black security guard. Black life is viewed as disposable. This is why we say black lives matter, because they do. They matter to us. Even if they may not matter to you, they matter to us. Black lives matter. Dear listener, I'm going to play you now some public comments from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors meeting. This is only going to be about five minutes. Then I'm going to take a break and come back and play you 45 minutes of really, I think, telling words from some of the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco also on May the 9th of this week. That would have been Tuesday. First of all, here's part of the public comment that you're about to hear. It starts with someone crying. I only caught the last part of this, but here it is. Sir, I'm sorry for your loss. The family is here and they can hear you. And they, they just said thank you to you. I will, I will stand with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing, sir. All right, bye-bye. Is there another caller on the line, please? Hi, this is Jennifer Friedenbach, and I'm calling from the Coalition Homelessness. And just wanted to send some love and condolences to Banco Brown's family. I just want to note that this entire situation happened within a context. In my several decades of working on these issues, I've never seen this level of anti-homeless vitriol, the level of hate, the comments on social media, the comments by policymakers who are using this as a political wedge, um, the dehumanization of people who are at the worst moments of their lives. I've never seen anything like it. This killing happened within that context. 
it happened within a context of stoking fear, uh, false fear often around crime, false fear of people who were unhoused, huge amount of bias in all of that, because who ends up disproportionately being homeless? It's black folks, four times more likely to be homeless. Trans folks, 17 more times to be homeless. And every human being who's out there has a story, just like Banco Brown. And within that context, within all this hate and all this vitriol, and we see it all the time. I mean, unlicensed and licensed security have been beating, hitting, mistreating, displacing, and killing homeless people. And what have we been doing? We've been increasing all that funding for policing, for, you know, it's, and then within this context, we have the DA not wanting to press charges and dismissing this as if it was a meaningless situation. So this is not my San Francisco. This is not the San Francisco I love. This is not the San Francisco I call home. I don't know what this is, but we need to turn this around. This is a wake up call. This is a wake up call for all of us to take a few steps back and think about what's happening here. Thank you, Jennifer. We need justice for- Is there another caller in the queue, please? My sincere condolence to the family and friends of Banco Brown. I feel bad for them. But to the boomer hippies and Gen Z kids that gave public comment, I would love it if they put this level of emotion into preserving our society. Instead, they claim to be victims by proximity and play identity politics endlessly. They don't understand our criminal justice system. They certainly won't improve it. I hope these socialist kids chose to grow up and join the rest of us in maintaining our beautiful civilization. All right. Um, Do we have another caller in the queue, please? Um, So, uh, my name is Iskander Kirchner-Millard. I am, I live and I'm currently walking around in District 6. Um, I am calling because I, um, it is, the tapes should be released. It is deeply unfortunate that we live in a society that creates the conditions that create such as a Walgreens to put barriers between people and food. Um, and it, 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 people should not get shot over anything inside of a Walgreens, much less food. Um, and if, if there is any justice perhaps to be seen, then the first step is to put into light what occurred. But regardless of what occurred, the betterment of our society is not based upon the murder of people and the turning of the face of the city away from such egregious and heinous things happening in our shared society. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Is there another caller in the queue, please? 
Madam Clerk, that was the last call in the queue. Okay, thank you, Mr. Lamb. Mr. Uh, President. Remote public comment is closed. So, dear listener, that was the public comment, just a little portion of it. That was from the phone callers. They were people who were at the Board of Supervisors meeting in San Francisco on Tuesday, May the 9th of this year, who were there in person, including some of the family members of Banco Brown, and they were giving their comments as well. So um, I'll have to play those at a later date. I don't have those to hand at the moment, but those are just a few of the comments you heard from people calling in to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors meeting on Tuesday. Now, I'll take a break here, and what you're going to hear when I come back are 45 minutes uninterrupted of comments from the Board of Supervisors. I'll set this up now. This is about a resolution that the Board of Supervisors wants to pass that says the San Francisco District Attorney must release the evidence, including video, of the killing of Banco Brown. That's what you're going to be hearing this 45-minute discussion, debate, comments from the Board of Supervisors about. So I just want to make sure that I set that up for you here now because I'm going to go straight into it when I come back from the break. So that's the important thing that you need to be aware of is that this is about a resolution that the San Francisco Board of Supervisors crafts to say to the district attorney, okay, you need to release this information. Now, they have power, the Board of Supervisors, but some of their power is limited. They can't compel release. They can, they can subpoena things now, but they, they can't force the district attorney to release it. They are, it's an advisory, really. I mean, anyway, you'll get the full picture of that when I come back from this break. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say, we're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. By the San Francisco Police Department for uh, filing charges by the district attorney. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, first of all, let me start by uh, adding my condolences and I think the Board of Supervisors condolences to the family of Banco Brown. Let me also say that I believe what our role as the Board of Supervisors as it relates to this issue really transcends politics 
And I actually see that in the initial folks who co-sponsored this resolution. Um, and I want to thank Supervisors Melgar, Walton, and Guardio, and Chan for immediately affixing their names to this. Um, I also uh, note that we are now hearing from moderate elected officials like my former colleague or some of our former colleagues, now State Senator uh, Scott Weiner, who has weighed in here. Um, we have, as the legislative body, a number of legitimate roles in this issue. Uh, as it relates to what Supervisor Preston was talking about, which is examining certain pieces of the Municipal Police Code as it relates to the role of safety guards and the regulatory structure, which actually Supervisor Stephanie looked into a couple of years ago. Um, and I want to be very clear, and this is based on advice uh, that the city attorney has rendered, that this is not... This resolution does not constitute interference by the Board of Supervisors into matters of the district attorney. This is within this board's right. Um, I also want to um, celebrate the Board of Supervisors and how beyond the initial co-sponsors, there has been a dialogue amongst individuals who were not initial co-sponsors that I think was very appropriate and very mature and very constructive. And I'm specifically uh, calling uh, Supervisors Preston, Dorsey, and Stephanie, um, who together worked with me to craft uh, some very modest changes, but that also this board should not only be urging the district attorney, but we should be urging the police department to release uh, the reports and video uh, and other accounts. And so that is reflected in edits that are before you. Uh, given the fact that we are still seeking evidence, evidence that I think uh, should be released to the public, as I said last week, um, we should, I think, uh, and I'll just read these. This is to add police department to line three after district attorney. This is to add the same and police department in line 20 after district attorney uh, to change the word murder to homicide and uh, in line 18 and to have the resolve clause, the first resolve clause read uh, that the board of supervisors urges the district attorney and police department to release when publicly disclosable police reports, witness counts, and video information from the April 27th, 2023 killing of Banco Brown that form the factual basis in the case presented by the SFPD for filing charges by the district attorney. Um, I think that language is acceptable to all parties, uh, and I appreciate really the mature dialogue that comes out of uh, what is beyond a tragic situation that we cannot countenance, where in justice really must be served and pursued. Uh, Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. Um, colleagues, I want to express my appreciation to President Aaron Peskin for his leadership in authoring this resolution, as well as uh, to his co-sponsors for it and everybody for their work on it. I do agree that resolutions like this can play an important role to affirm the legitimacy of our criminal justice system whenever that is called into question by matters of public controversy and by any measure. 
The killing of Banco Brown is certainly one of those. So I intend to support this resolution with a couple minor, but for reasons I can explain, and that President Peskin mentioned important amendments, um, which I can move in just a moment. But preliminarily, I want to reiterate the public statement I first made last month to express my condolences to Banco Brown's family members and friends, in particular his twin brother, who took the time to be with us today and last week. And I'm very sorry for your loss. Although I didn't know Banco Brown personally, I have certainly read and heard enough about his work as an activist and organizer in the LGBTQ plus community that I'm a part of too, to know that his death is an enduring and terribly painful loss for a community that loved him very much. I think all of us um, here in the Board of Supervisors and watching are powerfully moved by the testimony that we've heard in this chamber um, today and last week. As some of the commenters mentioned, I've spent uh, most of my career in offices that play investigative roles in our justice system. Uh, now, generally speaking, I would be inclined to honor governmental separation of powers for us as a legislative branch to give latitude to independently elected um, officers of the court to do their work. But at the same time, I also believe that all of us who have public roles have a responsibility to affirm the legitimacy of our criminal justice system whenever that is, comes into question. And as with every aspect of good government, we do that best by committing to transparency. And that's a point Supervisor Ronan spoke to earlier in the context of community-based town halls. Whenever there is an officer-involved shooting in San Francisco, I strongly share her view <laughs> that those are incredibly important. And they're important for the very same reason that this resolution is important and why I appreciate President Peskin's leadership on it, because transparency is the cornerstone of procedural justice. It is essential if we are to affirm the legitimacy of our criminal justice system, and we all have roles to play in that. So I want to offer the uh, what I believe to be the consensus um, amendment to this resolution, which I hope will address everyone's concerns. Um, I don't know if a, a motion... I, I've just read them to the record. Okay. The motion has been formally made. Um, but those four points constitute the proposed amendments for which this motion is made, and I hope this gets us to a unanimous agreement so we as a board of supervisors can speak with one voice um, on this important resolution President Peskin has offered and to do what we can for justice for Banco Brown. Supervisor and Guardian. Uh, first, I want to express my condolences to the family and friends of Banco Brown. Um, the resolution before us calls for a release of evidence and the tragic killing of Banco Brown um, of our police department that our police department presented to the district attorney. This includes video evidence. It's, it's, it's within the district attorney's authority to decide when to release evidence to the public. I understand each branch of government must respect the other's process and autonomy. But this resolution does not question our district attorney's authority. It's simply urging her to promote transparency to the fullest extent possible. I worked many years as a journalist, and I fundamentally believe in transparency. I believe that an open government is an accountable government. And my hope is that our district attorney and police department will continue to investigate this case thoroughly while leaning on the side of transparency. The killing of Banco Brown is an extraordinary case, and I believe is in the public interest to call for the release of the evidence. Thank you, Supervisor Engardio. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you. Um, also, my condolences to the family. Uh, what does publicly disclosable mean? 
Well, the, que the question here that has yet to be resolved, and by the way, this is, well, is what can legally be disclosed. I think that there are people who are in the legal profession, of which I am not, who believe that the district attorney can, if she chooses, or the police department can, if they choose, as they do in a police-involved police shooting, uh, release the video. Um, but the district attorney is maintaining that, and she cited the government code. Uh, I am not a lawyer. I read the government code. It seems to me that she can release them if she chooses to. Th and we have other ways that we can pursue this. I mean, you heard, uh, and I was quoted in the newspaper, that uh, this board does have the power to subpoena things from third parties, and maybe we'll go that way. This is an urgence to the district attorney to release these things in accordance with the law. That's what publicly disclosable means. I, 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 I just don't understand. So, so we're basically saying release this when you think it's appropriate under the government code, so we're saying nothing with this? This resolution, to my mind, clearly says that it is the policy urgence of the Board of Supervisors to, we are urging the district attorney and the police department to release anything that they can release. And this gets complicated, as I understand it, like there are elements of police reports that cannot be released before a investigation is finally concluded, but there are pieces of information. I'm getting way out of my depth here because this is not my field of expertise that they can release and there are things that they can't release. And what this is saying is release everything that you can release. Can I ask the city attorney, um, is there a legal definition of publicly disclosed? So what we're asking here is we want police reports, witness accounts, and video information. Are any of those things not publicly disclosable? Like, what is that? What is that? What does it mean to put that, you know, that marker in front of those three things? Does that mean that the district attorney is going to say, great, I'm glad you wanted to do this, and it's not publicly disclosable, so I'm not going to do it, and therefore this resolution is meaningless? Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, I can't speak to the intent of adding those words, um, and they're not you know, there's no legal definition of publicly disclosable, but I understood that they were added to make clear that there are some forms of evidence that may not be disclosed, whether as a matter of law or as a matter of discretion at this point, and that it was intended to urge the disclosure of what may be disclosed. I just, I, look, I, So I, um, I, I think it's very important that we pass a unanimous resolution today urging our district attorney and police department, I, I like adding the police department, to release the video, the witness accounts, and the, the police reports. And I worry that this new, you know, added language takes away from that intention. And so I would feel really comfortable voting for this if we, you know, change the word murder to homicide and change and, and include the police department. But I, 
I think this additional language publicly disclosable, it really weakens this resolution and what we're trying to do here. Supervisor Chan. We're, thank, get, we're getting thank we're you getting president this, peskin this is how democracy works go ahead supervisor chan thank you president peskin i think that like first it's it's interesting that we're here and i think that we have been two weeks in a row hearing a lot of public comments um and about the tragic death of Bengal Brown and here we are and try to do this resolution and trying to figure out as a legislative branch of government what is it that we can actually do. Um, I appreciate Supervisor Walton's letter of inquiry directly to District Attorney Brooke Jenkins. It is regrettable that her letter of like inquiry response was in my opinion the tone was very condescending and it's just really regretful regretful and what I really though hold on to that letter and that response that you know in this letter she mentioned that uh, she remain available anytime if we have questions or wish to meet to discuss further and I think that that's what is happening here is that the district attorney who really should be answering these questions is not providing the pl public platform for people to actually ask her questions to actually um, really have an interaction directly with the public to answer some of these because it's not just impacting the families and friends of Bengal Brown and really impacting our city and our community uh, at large and all of us are interested to see because I think that like some of the public commenter has mentioned Bengal Brown could be any of our family members and that encounter could be our kids could be our siblings so I think that it is a case of public interest um, that I look forward to seeing a possibility having District Attorney Brooke Jenkins to answer these questions in a public forum perhaps even in this chamber along with us um, is what I look forward to. And with that said, though, I also wanted to say, you know, what really brought to us, I think, again, two weeks in a row during these public comments, time and time again, a lot of folks actually are saying that, you know, about being hungry and without homes. And I think that as we're facing this budget in this year, with budget deficits, I think that food security and shelters and housing, those are really critical issues that we really need to think about. And I think that, at least for me, like I think I look forward to those conversations with you colleagues about what our budget should look like and that to actually understand that if we are making those commitments um, to our communities and to our city about providing food security, providing shelters and providing homes, that we have to do that with our budget. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin, and, th and thank you for taking the lead on this uh, resolution, which I am uh, happy to, to be a co-sponsor of. Um, it's hard to know where to begin. Let, let me just offer maybe some broader thoughts and then address the amendment and the issue that Supervisor Ronan um, is raising. Um, so... I, I got to say, I mean, I, I really share a lot of the sentiment that has been shared in public comment. I'm completely disgusted by the district attorney's conduct to date on this. Um, I'm trying to, I have tried to sort of reserve judgment on this, but I'm real looking at what has occurred. Um, 
it is very, very difficult, even giving a benefit of doubt to to make any sense of uh, what we have seen to date. And and, you know, look, everyone is entitled to the benefit of doubt, but also like people aren't stupid, you know, and it kind of it's one of these like if it if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, like maybe it's a duck and like this has every appearance of just like a really bad cover-up you know i mean it's just i'm trying to figure out some scenario in which that's not what's happening and i would challenge anyone to it just doesn't make any sense i mean and we've gone through this but the the da publicly announces that she is not pursuing charges she publicly announces that the Walgreens guard who was arrested, you know, was in mortal danger and acted in self-defense. Now, I'm sorry, you know, the, the district attorney went to great lengths, as Supervisor Chan said, to lecture my colleague from District 10, uh, saying because he's not an attorney somehow, he doesn't uh, understand the ethical obligations of an attorney. You tell me, Let's just start with what makes no sense. And we have a former prosecutor here on the board that I'm sure can weigh in too. I mean, when have you ever seen an announcement from a district attorney on a case that says, this is a clear case of self-defense. The person was in mortal danger. And then a week later, a claim that the case is still open. So how are you going to charge that case? Like, can we just talk really, like, you you announce on television and in a public statement that the person who is potentially accused of the crime was in mortal danger and acting in self-defense. Good luck prosecuting that case because you could be a defense attorney with one brain cell left and all you do is blow up that statement from the district attorney so if if we want to talk about ethical obligations and i mean i this it it just it does not add up and if you're going to just say you're not issuing charges based on a videotape and then you refuse to release the videotape you have calls from the public to release the videotape. You have calls from the board of supervisors, and, and, and hopefully in a unanimously passed ordinance today, to release that, and you don't. Like, what is going on? And, and again, if it's not like it, what it looks like, if it's if it's not, if there's some other explanation, let's hear it. Um, it this this is extremely disturbing and of course the da has discretion here uh, generally on bringing charges or not bringing charges um the, the the da also has and let's be real that the da has discretion about whether to re- release this video or not and she is exercising that discretion to not release the video right the, all of this talk of like there is no argument whatsoever that that the district attorney cannot release this videotape. That's nonsense. And the government code that she's citing doesn't say any such thing. It just doesn't say it. I mean, look look at the gov- government code. It gives her 
discretion. She, it says she's not required to release it. Nobody's saying she is required legally to release it. What we're saying is when you dismiss charges, when someone is shot and killed for alleged, if it even happened, shoplifting, a black trans person and you're going to dismiss you're going to say you're not charging someone and you're going to say it's based on video evidence and you choose to put that evidence at issue then show everyone the evidence right so 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 like none of this adds up so i i look i'm glad the board of supervisors and i hope with this amendment acts uh you know acts unanimously uh, so this this sends a message but i you know this tape is going to come out. Like, I, I just, I do hope the district attorney is listening on this. I hope Walgreens is listening on this. I think that the security contractor and subcontractor that they use are listening to this. Like the idea that this will just go away quietly and, and, and again, without pointing fingers too much, the idea that because this is a young trans black man that this is just going to go away and people are going to move on like that is not going to happen you hear from the community that that's not going to happen you're hearing it from a number of supervisors and other city leaders like that is not going to happen this videotape is going to come out publicly and it's only going to be worse the longer that takes so the district attorney of course should release this has discretion to any talk that she can't is nonsense and part of the reason that i'm fine with this amendment is because this is disclosable i mean this is publicly disclosable well, there is no rule that tells the, 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 the district attorney that she can't uh, disclose this. And at the same time, Supervisor Walton has, as he explained in roll call, has issued, uh, is issuing a letter to, Wal to Walgreens and to, to the, the uh, contractor and to SFPD asking for this. This Board of Supervisors has subpoena power in the event that Walgreens does not turn this over. That is certainly an option that this board uh, can can consider. Like this is, the, these tapes are are going to come out. Now let, let me just, one other comment and, and, and then on the particular amendment question. I, I just, I want to flag something that I think a lot of commenters have alluded to, like, and it's really important. Like, this didn't just come out of nowhere, right? I mean, we are looking, we are in an era where, I mean, just look on social media at the horrific stuff, right, right now in, 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 in attacking the poor. I mean, good God, look at the, I, you know, I posted something about introducing a law today that, that I discussed in roll call saying people shouldn't be able to pull their gun, to, you know, to potentially shoot someone for proper, for, for taking property. Look at the comments, look at the co toxic combination of, you know, tech bros, mega Republicans and God knows how many troll farms. Like, look, look at what people say who feel like this doesn't just come out of nowhere. That security guard gets a message. The same message, the guy who, you know, who went around and bear maced, you know, people who are homeless, right? Someone who thought it was fine to hose someone down who's homeless. Like, we just keep seeing this, right? And when people come to the mic and are talking about the war on the poor, when people come to the mic and are frustrated with everyone from the mayor to this board on our overinvestment in policing and our underinvestment in the things people, people need and the rhetoric that's being used, like, that's what this leads to. Right. So we don't know exactly what happened here. We'll, we'll get the tape and hopefully see more. Uh, but we do know what's happened so far and the complete disrespect 
of the community of Banco Brown and, and, and his, his, his family by handling this case the way it's been handled uh, so far. Let, let, me, let me just address the, the amendment, though, in particular, because you know, I'm actually fine with, with this amendment. I like that the amendment broadens the, uh, the, the reach of this beyond the, the DA and also pulls in SFPD specifically and asks them to, urges them to release the tape as well. I think that's important. Um, you know, I also think, I think, and part of why I was receptive to this when Supervisor Dorsey uh, suggested this, I think we all know that there are aspects of a criminal case that are not publicly disclosable, right? I mean, there may be a witness statement, for example, with identifying information, the witness's cell phone number, all those kind of things. Those are not publicly disclosed. I mean, there are, there are laws that may restrict the release of some kinds of, of information. I think there's no question that does not apply to this videotape. Um, but, you know, that's why I, I don't think this fundamentally changes uh, the impact, particularly with respect to, to videotape, to just say that, that the district attorney has to release publicly disclosable uh, reports. I mean, I don't think we as a board can say otherwise. I don't think we could compel the, the district attorney to compel something that she is legally obligated not to, re to release. Right. So to me, that, that I don't see that as interfering with the intent uh, of the resolution. So I, I will be um, I'll be supporting it uh, with the amendment, um, but uh, just emphasizing to the to the D.A., to Walgreens and their contractors like these are going to come out. So uh, just just release uh, this information now. Um, and I think that the board should use every tool at our disposal from this resolution uh, to letters of inquiry to potential subpoenas as well to make sure that happens. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Preston, for those words. And uh, if you've already spoken, I'll come back to you. So we will go to Supervisor Walton. Thank you so much, President Peskin. <clears throat> and one, uh, in my haste to take immediate action, I didn't relay my condolences to the family of Banco Brown. So I definitely want to make sure that I send my condolences to the family. This was a tragedy that should not have happened um, on our streets. Someone was shot down on our streets in cold blood. The district attorney closed the case in self-defense. We request the video, and now it's an ongoing investigation once again. And I want to remind everyone that the PD wanted to har charge homicide. The police department wanted to charge homicide in this case. Uh, I think that's something that needs to be noted. And we know resolutions aren't binding. And so as we push to make sure that this resolution happens at this board, we still need to organize and get in front of the district attorney, still need to organize and get in front of the police department, still need to organize and get in front of Walgreens, Somebody has to give us that video. When I first saw the amendments, you know, just like Supervisor Ronan, I really thought it was an attempt to undermine us as a board to get to unanimous decision. Because uh, I don't see any reason to do anything different than what we had in the resolution that was originally put before us. There's no need for any additional language with the exception of including the police department. Uh, but I do not want to do anything here that is going to stop us from getting a unanimous decision on making sure that we are requesting the video and other pertinent evidence. But just like Supervisor Preston stated, our own district attorney used a statement that stated the video was the reason for 
her assessment. That video needs to be shown to the public. It needs to be shown right away, and we need to stop doing anything to hamper the public seeing that video. If there was evidence on that video that led to the assessment from the DA, everybody should have the opportunity to view that video. And so I want to make sure that we get this resolution passed and I will support the amendment. But I think the resolution already had the merits needed for moving forward on its own, with the exception of adding the police department. Thank you, President Peskin. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. Yeah, I just want to add my condolences for the loss of Banco Brown. And I don't see how anyone can sit here and not be moved by all of this. Um, I know if it were my kids, I'd be I'd be losing my mind. And um, I think what Supervisor Peskin said in terms of what we're doing here today, I think it transcends politics. Um, I think it's our job to bring as much peace as we can to this situation. Everyone on this board who knows me knows I hate guns so much. And uh, gun violence, um, gun violence comes in all forms and it comes in the forms from security guards who aren't trained or, and, you know, I, uh, you know, I saw this in my district earlier this year, you know, I had legislation with security guards, um, armed security guards that were harassing um, people in my district of color that, and it's why we started looking at Article 25. And I'm just sorry that we're here now today and we have to do more about this. Um, I am fine with this resolution. Um, I think it's important that we speak in one voice today. Um, we have a community. This is what gun violence does. This is what gun violence does, what we saw here today. This is what gun violence does all over our country. This is what gun violence is doing in our community, to this family, to these people, to Banco's friends. This is what gun violence does in the hands, when guns are in the hands of people that shouldn't have them and don't know how to use them and don't can't control their emotions, can't control what's going on. This is what gun violence does. We have a community who is reeling with trauma, anger, who feels dismissed and unheard. And I think, like I said, this transcends politics. And I think today our job as the board is really to try to start building a bridge to that healing. Because I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to do. Um, but I can't sit here and not feel everything that I just saw, not just today, but last week as well. And another loss of life to gun violence is just so unacceptable. And I'm just really glad and I really hope we can speak in one voice today because I know all my colleagues, we care about people. We don't always agree on things, but we do care about you and we care about your family and we don't want this to happen in our community. So um, with, that, I, with that, whatever the amendment says, I will be happy to support it and hope that we move towards healing and um like i said my condolences probably gonna have to have a little justice before we have some healing supervisor safai thank you president peskin um um all i can say is for all the years that i've been on this board this is probably one of the most difficult 
uh, times we've had to go through as a body. And I just want to say I, I can't even imagine what the family is feeling to lose a loved one and go through what they're going through and have to go through it in a public way. I mean, it's one thing to have to grieve and lose someone in your family in a private setting, but have to go through it in a public setting makes it even more gut-wrenching. And I, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I know that words are just words, but our deepest condolences to the family. Very, very um, painful to even experience it just through your pain that's expressed here today. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand, um, and I won't try to put myself in the shoes, but I think it has been said eloquently by a lot of the people that came here today that to be black and trans makes you a target. It makes you a target for violence, and we see that explicitly played out over and over and over again. It's hard for San Francisco to, to even come to grips with the fact that it's happening in our city, but it absolutely is happening in our city too. So I just want to say that I think it, you know, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uh, need for transparency. And I think that's what this, this resolution is about one way or another. Uh, there will be transparency. And so just wanted to express my words. I'm not going to repeat anything else anyone else said. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor. Supervisor Melgar. Thank you, President Peskin. I'm very sorry for the loss of your twin. And I'm very sorry for the loss of your friend and your family. I'm the mother of three girls. I can't imagine what you're feeling. Um, I want to support this resolution, um, whatever language uh, we have. And I uh, thank you, Supervisor Preston, uh, for clarifying that. Um, I um, want to send a strong message, you know, to our district attorney that um, her words were inartful and ill-conceived um, and that, uh, you know, there, there can be uh, justice um, still um, by releasing the evidence, by doing what's right. Um, and I hope that we are all united on this. I um, think that that's, you know, something that we can do. Um, I also think that it is on us that this young person was in this situation. If we know that uh, African-American people are four times more likely to be homeless, if we know that young trans people are 17 times more likely to be homeless, and they are such a small part of the population, where are the focus programs? Where are, is the housing that people need? Where is the food that people need? I think that it's on us for having put this person in this situation. We got to do better. We as a city must do better with shelter, with housing, with food. They're basic human rights. And so uh, thank you, colleagues. And thank you, President Peskin, for putting this resolution forward. Uh, thank you to my colleague in District 10, uh, Supervisor Walton, for his inquiries. I really appreciate it. Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank you, President Peskin. I, uh, lots has been said. I don't have much more to say other than to express my deepest condolences to the family and the friends. Thank you, Supervisor Mandelman. Supervisor Dorsey. 
Thank you, President Peskin. I just wanted to um, just briefly address the, uh, the question about pu publicly disclosable. I did think it was important in offering that it was really more about setting public expectations that there are portions of police reports that may not be disclosable. I think things, for example, um, CLETS data that comes off the, the, the uh, electronic system that the, that the city shares with other law enforcement agencies in the state, it, we could lose our access to CLETS as a city if, if there are some things that come to light. So it's more about setting public, pu public expectations rather than giving anybody cover. Um, and in terms of, um, you know, the when, I do want to just say that, you know, I do, having come from offices that have investigative capacities, there are sometimes good reasons for a reasonable delay while an investigation is ongoing to withhold something. But I do want to commit to my colleagues that if there is a delay or a withholding that we see as unnecessary or overbroad, you'll have my commitment um, that if we need to revisit this, we I, I will be there with you. I, I just really appreciate, especially uh, Supervisor Ronan, um, talking about the, the, the importance of town halls that we have had here in San Francisco around officer-involved shootings. To me, that is something that really demonstrates the importance of being transparent and fearless, because ultimately that is the cornerstone of procedural justice. That is what legitimizes our criminal justice system. And without that, um, I fear that we, we lose legitimacy. So I, I will be a partner in that, but I just wanted to explain why publicly, publicly disclosable was really more about just setting public expectations for things that might be withheld. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Supervisor Ronan. Oh, your microphone. Thank you. I'm just going to read a little section of, I agree with Supervisor Chan, the incredibly condescending letter from the DA to our colleague, uh, Supervisor Walton. Uh, I, I, I read it today in my office with my mouth agape. I, I don't, I, it's unbelievable um, the way she spoke to you. And I just want to say to you, Supervisor Walton, uh, you don't need to be a lawyer to be the intelligent, incredible leader that you are. Um, and I'm sorry you had to receive a letter so condescending uh, from this district attorney. Um, but let me just read a little part of this. And that's why I think it's important that we remove this language. I'm going to make sure this passes today. I just want to say from all of my colleagues. But I think it's really important that we either remove this language or I have another way we can express it. She said... This remains an open and ongoing investigation. As a result, releasing video or any other evidence at this time could compromise the investigation would be unethical. Given this investigation is still open, the footage and other evidence in this case is protected by section 7923.600 of the California government code. So we all know <laughs> that that code doesn't actually prevent her from releasing the video, but she's hiding behind that government code and saying that she's not going to release it. So when we put this qualifying language in, we're just giving the opening for her to say, well, it's not publicly disclosable because she's already said that she doesn't think it is because the, you know, all of a sudden the investigation is, is ongoing again. So I, I just don't know why we would give an out 
when we are all on the same page that this video needs to be released now? Why do we have to, like, this public is not, it, it is not unintelligent. The folks and Banco's family is here today to say, we're calling a spade a spade. We're not gonna believe your excuses, release the video. So let's be just as clear in our resolution and not give this qualifying language and an out to a district attorney who's looking for an out, who's told us that she's gonna hide behind government codes that don't even apply there. So I would ask you, Supervisor Dorsey, to agree to either just remove that language. Of course, if something, according to, uh, you know, su or Supervisor Preston's explanation, if something by law cannot be disclosed, we don't need to put a qualifier there for her to say legally we can't disclose it. I mean, we're just saying from the board's perspective, release all of this information now. Why do we have to qualify that to a DA that has already told us that she thinks that none of that is disclosable. I just, I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I, you know, through the chair, I'd like to make a friendly amendment and and and, and asking Mr. Uh, uh, Supervisor Dorsey if he'd agree to just remove the three words on line 20 when publicly disclosable, and then we can support the rest. So let, let me weigh in here. I personally think it doesn't make one bit of difference either way. I am the original drafter of it. What I am absolutely focused on is having 11 votes for this, which everybody has acknowledged. I, quite frankly, like the way I originally drafted it, but I want to get supervisor. No, no, no. That you're, you, you don't like an amendment to it. I don't care whether you like me. I'm doing my job. Would, would you just... I don't care whether I, I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, all right, Supervisor Dorsey, can you live with it without those three words? I could. I do think it is, um, yeah, I think presumed within what we're calling on people to release is that we would be, that an office would be releasing it within what the law. Okay, so it will prescribes. say resolved that the Board of Supervisors urges the district attorney and police department to release police reports, witness counts, and video information from the April 27th, 2023 killing of Banco Brown that form the factual basis in the case presented by the SFPD for filing charges by the district attorney. All right. So if there are no other names on the roster, as the maker of the original resolution, I would like to move, make a motion, kind of rare for the president to do, but uh, it is, I am the chief sponsor to adopt that, to change the word in line 18 from murder to homicide and to add the words and police department to the long title at line three. On that amendment, colleagues, it's seconded by Supervisor Dorsey. Can we take that without objection? And on the item as amended, same house, same call, the resolution is adopted as amended. <laughs> Madam Clerk, 
could you please read the immemoria? Today's meeting will be adjourned in memory of the following beloved individual on behalf of Supervisor Preston. We are adjourned. Marvis Phillips. Oops, sorry. My apologies. We are adjourned. And that was the 45 minutes uninterrupted of the debate in the San Francisco Board of Supervisors earlier this week on the resolution that says to the San Francisco District Attorney to release the video and all other evidence in this case that she claims is not a case of homicide, which is just really breathtaking. You know, there was a letter that the district attorney wrote to Supervisor Shimon Walton, and you may have heard that referenced in the 45-minute conversation by one of the supervisors. She mentioned it, and it really is a condescending letter. It really, really is. It's a lengthy letter, actually, but I'm not going to read it on this episode. I'm going to do that in a follow-up on this particular story and this case, because this Banco Brown case is not going to go away, and it shouldn't, and we cannot let it. This case is not getting very much attention nationally here in the United States, but I assure you, here in San Francisco, it is being talked about in local media, it's being talked about amongst some people, it's certainly being talked about on social media in some quarters, but certainly... As far as the local news media here in the in San Francisco, it's definitely something that we are talking about here. You can hear it. And I will continue, not because of the media talking about it or not talking about it. I will talk about it regardless here on the Politocrat Daily Podcast to follow up with you, dear listener, on the case of Banco Brown, the young, black, trans, unhoused brother who was shot dead on April the 27th 2023 by a Walgreens armed security guard. And I'm telling you, from based on that eyewitness that you heard from earlier, that I read out his statements earlier, Donald Washington Jr. seems very clear to me that he was shot outside the store. And as the eyewitness says to the journalist at Mission Local, seems very clear to me that this guard retreated back into the store, then turned around according to the eyewitness, went back outside and shot and killed Banco Brown. That is murder. That's not self-defense. When you've left the situation, you've gone back in to your home, to the store that you are patrolling, and then you turn around and go back outside, you've become the aggressor. Especially if there is no evidence of the person coming at you with a knife or coming at you with anything, you have become the aggressor. I mean, anyway, I'm not, I was going to bring up another case, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to muddy the waters here. Dear listener, we have to start caring about each other as human beings. Just because you may not like someone, you have a right not to like someone, but you don't have a right to kill them. Particularly where self-defense is not part of the equation. That's the only time you have any kind of legal right to defend a killing is when you have self-defense. Now, any 
killing that happens, you'll have a defense attorney. You're entitled to that defense in that respect. But in terms of an actual justification, whether it's the life of someone else or your own life, those are really the only two times that you have any kind of right to defend yourself on a justified killing. That's what justification is, and usually in the state of New York, but in other states, there are variations of this. But there is no right to self-defense when you have thrown someone out of a store and you have retreated back into the store and then you decide to turn around and go back outside the store and shoot someone to death. That is not self-defense. And the San Francisco District Attorney, Brooke Jenkins, knows that. You heard Supervisor Dean Preston, who is described himself, self-described as a democratic socialist, talk very clearly about this being something that smells of a bad cover-up. Well, I'd go further, and I, I've told you already, I think it's a cover-up period. It's a cover-up period, end of story. And yeah, I, I do share his sentiment, however, that it's sloppy. Um, he says bad. I use the word messy and sloppy. Semantical, perhaps. But it's so shoddy. Who is this district attorney? And by the way, let me say something else before I say goodbye here. Where are the statements from all these groups in this city who claim to be so much about justice and freedom for all kinds of groups, but all of a sudden when it's a black trans person, you're quiet? Whether it's women's groups or any other group, you know, whether it's Groups against gun violence. How come I don't hear anything from any of those groups here in San Francisco? Most of them have been very quiet, if not all of them. And really, what jumps out at me even more is where is the statement from Speaker Pelosi? Or shall I say Speaker Emerita Pelosi? This shooting happened in her congressional district. She is the congressperson for the city and county of San Francisco. That is her entire district. That would be the entire city of San Francisco, California. That would include Market Street in San Francisco, where this Walgreens is. How come, as of now, I have not seen anything? There's no statement from her on Twitter about this killing. Not a single syllable. Now, she talks about Allen, Texas, that happened last week, the shooting there, that's hundreds of miles away from San Francisco. Thousands of miles away from San Francisco. How come she won't comment on anything that's going on in her district when it comes to a black trans person being killed? Not a single statement, nothing, saying that you condemn that killing. I'm not even saying you have to say anything about your friend Brooke Jenkins as a district attorney. To not even put out a statement about that killing and you claim to be so prayerful and you're this and you're devout and you're religious and all the rest of it. And you're devout and prayerful and, and yet you don't put out a statement condemning that killing of Banco Brown. What you do unto the least of these, you do also unto me. Have you checked that in your King James Bible lately, Madam Speaker? How come you are not saying anything about Banco Brown being killed? How come? 
Why the silence? Speaker Pelosi, why the silence? You can talk about a shooting that happened thousands of miles away from San Francisco, but you can't talk about a shooting that happened in your own district. I'm not even asking you to go into any detail about the case. Just condemn the killing. Just simply put out a statement saying that no one should be killing someone over snacks, over anything. Just condemn the killing of this young unarmed brother. Can you do that? I just think it's grotesque that the speaker particularly hasn't said anything. Nothing. And I tell you, if I get a chance to speak to her, I will tell her that I think that she should put a statement out about this. And it's and I find it to be disturbing and offensive that she hasn't. I would tell her that to her face. I really would. Dear listener, please follow on Instagram. Please follow on Twitter at the popcorn R E E L. Please follow on Spoutable S P O U T I B L E dot com forward slash popcorn R E E L. Of course, this podcast as well. Please download it, subscribe, share the podcast, tell your friends and family about the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Please do. And of course, there is a online store, the dash politocrat dot myshopify.com. All the items there designed by yours truly. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.